Thank you for listening to the podcast from The House, a local church in Rock Island, Illinois. For more information, check out www.thehouseqc.com. We are in the second week of a series called Abide. Last week, Pastor Chris kicked us off, uh, and, and he talked about how we can begin to abide in Jesus. We looked at something that Jesus had actually said in the book. John, if you missed that, you can actually watch the video. We have a camera right here. Hello, everybody on, online. It's streaming to Facebook uh, right now. And so if you're ever sick, you can, you can watch online. If you have a friend that's curious what this is like, you can tell them to watch online. Um, but if you miss it, that is on our Facebook page. So if you missed the message last week, you can go back. You can listen to the worship songs. You can kind of experience the worship service again. Or we post the podcast just by itself on SoundCloud, and that goes to iTunes as well. So pardon me. If you missed that, feel free to go check that out. Okay, so... But how do we abide in Christ is the question. Well, here's one answer, okay? We abide in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in dwelling with our spirit in the temple of our body, shaping our minds, influencing our actions, and making our very heart a home for Jesus Christ and the Son of our Father God. Simple enough, right? I read it quickly because it feels very heady. It feels very intellectual. That's this very big answer. There's, there's a lot of answers that we can come up with for how to abide in Christ to sound a whole lot like you needed a Ph.D. in order to write that explanation. But if the answer isn't heady and intellectual, sometimes we just make it mystical. Right? So we ask, oh, how do we abide? And the answer becomes, well, we just feel it. You just feel it. I am a feeler. I'm a thinker, but I'm also a feeler. In the context of worship, like I, I know that I want to feel the presence of God. Feeling God is not what makes me believe in God, but I love to feel His presence. But there's even more to it than just that. It's neither heady nor just mystical. So how do we abide in Jesus? And I think the answer that I want to give us as a church, as a congregation, as a family, is that it begins with prayer. Abiding in Christ is abiding in prayer, I think the most common answer that I hear about how to pray is this, that, that it's just having a conversation with God. We've probably all heard that. Is it, raise your hand if you ever heard that. It's just, just have a conversation with God. But here's the interesting thing. It's not that that's not true. It's just that when Jesus was asked how to pray, that's not what he said. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray, he didn't say, all right, guys, fold your hands and just have a conversation with God. There was something that he did he actually gave them a model. It doesn't mean that we don't have conversations with God. It doesn't mean that we can't just talk to God. But when we are learning to abide, Jesus has given us a model that you can pray simply or you can let the different parts take you deeper. But why do we resist this kind of prayer? I'm talking about the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer in particular. I'm talking about rote prayers. I'm talking about things that have been written down for us in years past? Why do we resist things like this? First, we have to remember that we're Americans. It may seem odd to some. It may make a lot of sense to others. We have to remember that we are Americans and that being in America influences our faith. It influences the way that we hear about God, see God, believe in God, tell others about God, think about God. It influences so much about who we are because we are surrounded by an American culture. And since we're Americans, we don't want to pray the same thing over and over. 
unless it's the same complaint every day. Right? I have a pile of journals that go back 20 years. And if you read them, especially the early years, you will probably find a long string of complaints that sound pretty similar. Maybe it's not that we don't want to pray the same thing. We just don't want to be told what to pray. Don't tell me what to pray, even if it's Jesus telling us to do it. Is that too far? No? Listen, liturgical prayers, set prayers, were common in Judaism. And we have to remember that Jesus was not American. Jesus was Jewish. And in Judaism, set prayers, wrote prayers, predetermined prayers were very common thing. Between Jesus and his disciples, they probably knew hundreds of prayers by heart. Psalms, passages from the Torah, which is the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. Sections of Isaiah, prayers from the synagogue. Prayers like the Lord's Prayer were common. And when Jesus teaches his disciples in the Lord's Prayer, when he teaches them that, he may have actually been basing that prayer on an existing Jewish prayer called the Kaddish. Listen to the first five lines of this other prayer that would be prayed in the synagogue. Exalted and hallowed be your great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days. Lord's Prayer, which we'll read together in a moment. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we have a prayer here that they would have also been praying in the synagogue. Hallowed is your name. May, your, you, may you establish your kingdom. Sounds pretty familiar. And it's not controversial either. It's not plagiarism. It's actually beautiful. Why? Because Jesus is doing with prayer, potentially doing with prayer, what he does with so much of his teaching. He takes what we know, he takes what they knew, and he makes it better. Jesus wants to take what we think we know about prayer and make it better. If we think that prayer is only a conversation, he wants to make that better. If we think that it's just rote, he wants to make that better. If we think that it's heady or mystical, he wants to make it better. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take the Lord's Prayer and we're going to focus on specific parts of it so that we learn how to abide in prayer. So let's look at what Jesus gave us and find out how, find out why it's better than what we could come up with on our own. So let's open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew 6. Matthew 6 it goes is the beginning of what's called the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you see any of those, you know you're in the right neighborhood. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to just take one of the physical ones that are out on the, the bookshelf out in the lobby. You can take it home with you. Otherwise, you can download a digital one from uh, any of the digital app stores. <coughs> All right, we're in Matthew 6. Will you stand with me as we read the word? This is Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this prayer that you've given us. I pray that today as we focus on part of it, whatever you have for us to learn, that it would stick, that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that our faith would become stronger, that we would become more like your son. Amen. Thanks guys, you can have a seat. I want to focus on two words today. And, you know, in the Protestant um, kind of faith in, which is basically most everything that isn't Catholic, uh, evangelical world, this prayer is called the Lord's Prayer. But for millennia before that, it was called the Our Father. You know, I went to a conference in, in England a number of years back, and I discovered that over in England, any song that you sing in worship is always named for the first words that you sang in that song. So over here we have a song that's called As You Find Me. But over there it would be called I've Been Strong because those are the first words of the song. And for us, the first words that Jesus asks us to pray is Our Father. What does it mean that God is calling that Jesus is calling God Father. I think the first thing, the primary thing, is to tell us that God is close, that God is imminent, that God is present, that He is here. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see a relationship with His Father that over and over and over He refers back to His Father, about how He's going to spend time with His Father. He prays to the Father. He defers to the Father. He is loved by His Heavenly Father and He has no question that He loves His Father because He's loved by His Father. But what about us? How do we pray anything deeply if we can't pray the first two words honestly? How does anything that comes after our Father get to the depth that it could be if we can't pray the first two words honestly and deeply. What am I talking about? All right, so again, we're Americans, right? Here in America, we live in a country where 39% of our kids under the age of 18 live with only one parent. That's 30 million kids. 25 million of those kids live with only their mother. In other words, one-third of all of the kids in America are living without a dad, living without a father in their home. What does it mean when the first words that Jesus tells us to pray are foreign on the lips of a third of our kids? I'm not intentionally being harsh on, mom, on, on men, okay? I, I promise. Because this is some sad news. We live in a world where kids that are abused are two to three times more likely to be abused by their mom than by their dad. So this isn't about just, this is about a parent question. God gives us the word Father, which is a parental word, right at the beginning of a prayer, and we live in a world that breaks down what it means to be a healthy parent almost from the beginning. How many are kept from praying to their heavenly Father because their earthly parents sin? How many are kept from believing God is present and good because their earthly father is absent? because their earthly mother was harsh. 
You know, I think uh, maybe it's easy. People might think that it's easy for me. Because I'm a pastor, it must be like so easy for me to believe that God is close. It must be so easy for me to believe that God is loving. You know, this is what I do for a living. It must that mu- you must do it because it comes easy. My mom and dad, they came to this church for the first six years, and then I encouraged them. I said, hey, you know, I don't want you to come to the church just because I'm your son. You know, thank you so much for supporting me. It's been, it's been amazing. And I said, but I really want you guys to feel free to, to go anywhere that you would like. And, and so I've been encouraging them to explore what is actually the best church uh, for them. And so a lot of you have met my mom and my dad. And what a lot of you don't know is that my dad didn't become a Christian until he was 50 years old. that until I was 10 years old that my dad was an alcoholic. That my entire childhood my dad was a workaholic. That because my dad was an alcoholic and gone at work all the time that my mom had to be a little too harsh. Had to be a little too strict. That there were times where I went to a school that was two miles from my house that in the winter I had to walk home because I got forgotten at school. I don't say any of this to drag my parents because that was 35 years ago. And we've, we love each other. They love me, I love them. But you need to understand that that I'm not a pastor, and I don't believe, it's not easy for me to believe that God's close. It doesn't just come naturally for me to believe that God is here or that he loves me. I grew up going to a church that, that, you know, my dad didn't go to a church with me a single Sunday my entire life. My mom was in the choir, so I sat alone in the second row of church. When we got engaged, me and Cindy, they had a wedding shower uh, at the church and all the old ladies had stories for Cindy of how I got in trouble as I was a kid. But they didn't know I was getting in trouble because I was looking for attention from a dad that wasn't there or from a mom that had to be too strict. And so then I grew up and my faith started to develop into this thing that I realized that, that, oh, well, maybe God just loves me when I do something good. Maybe God loves me when I don't get in trouble. Maybe God will remember to come get me if I do this or if I do this. And so I grew up into my teens and into my early 20s truly believing that God only tolerated me. That He would show up if I could sing good. That He would show up if I could hit a ball, that he would be good to me if I just behaved. I don't know that it's meant to come easy. 
can't say that it comes easy for anybody. But you need to know that someone like me does not stand behind this table and preach this word because it came easily to believe that God was close or because it came easily for me to pray the words, Our Father. But these are the barriers that stand in front of all of us. There is something in front of all of us that wants to keep us from praying the words, Our Father, in such a deep and meaningful way that everything after it is even deeper. To pray Our Father in such an honest, hopeful, desiring way that everything else after has meaning from the start. And here's the truth. As though it doesn't seem like I've been truthful already. <laughs> Let me continue to be honest. I'm aware that when I come home at the end of a day and the first thing that I say to my kids is to clean up the house, I know that I'm running the risk of teaching them that the first thing God will ask them to do is to do something. I'm aware that if I'm sitting at the dinner table and I'm irritable because of something that happened that day, that I run the risk of telling my kids that coming to the table means that God might be irritated with them. I live every day wondering what I'm teaching my own kids about God because of my own behavior. But listen, last month we talked about what does it mean to live at the table. And Chris kicked us off talking about the prodigal son. There's a reason that that story is called the prodigal son, not the prodigal father. Because God isn't like a bad dad or a faulty dad or a broken dad that suddenly becomes good. He is a father that has never been bad for a moment. He's the kind of father that lets you tell him to drop dead. He gives you half of everything he owns. He lets you go off and waste your inheritance in every sinful way possible. That when you come home, he runs to you. He wraps you in new clothes. He puts shoes on your feet. He kills the most prized possession, the fattened calf, and throws a party because that's what a good father does. This, this is the kind of father that our God is. He is patient, loving, long-suffering, gracious, faithful, and though you don't need a thing from me, still you want my heart. He is the Father that we have all been waiting for. And so Jesus tells us to pray, our Father, to personalize it, to make it present, to make present our awareness that God is not like the parents that we know, even the best dad you know, God is better. I went to see a movie uh, yesterday called The Way Back. I'm just going to grab a, a Kleenex. And it's not a Christian movie, so I'm not telling you to go see it. There's quite a bit of swearing in it. But it's about this guy that had been a basketball star in high school. And since then he hadn't played basketball in years and years and years and years. And the Catholic school that he had gone to, uh, the, the basketball coach has a heart attack, and so they ask him to come back. And you can, tell, you can tell right from the start that he's an alcoholic. They're making it obvious that he's an alcoholic from the start. 
And he comes back and he starts turning the team around. And there's this moment where he's given one of the kids a ride home. And the kid says, hey, my dad told me that you had a full ride scholarship to go to Kansas to play basketball, but then you quit. What happened? He tells the kid, you know, <laughs> he said, my dad didn't like me very much. And then someone told him I was good at basketball. He said, the better I got, the more my dad loved me. He said, and then I just realized that I didn't want to play basketball for his love. He said, so I quit to hurt him. He said, and then I started drinking to hurt him. And I did drugs to hurt him. And he said this quote, that immediately, as soon as I heard it, I knew that I needed to say it today. Because I think that it's probably true for a lot, if not all of us. He said, I spent a lot of time hurting myself, trying to hurt my father. I think all of our sin, I think all of our rebellion, is us just hurting ourselves, trying to hurt a God we're not sure is there. just all this stuff hurting ourselves trying to hurt a God that we don't know if he'll show up to pick us up or not just all this stuff trying to hurt a God that we don't know what he'll do the next time we make a mistake and that's the stuff that gets in the way of us praying our father and that's the stuff that gets in the way of of us really abiding, really being present to, with, in, and among God. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with that? What do we do? It's it's not it's one thing to realize, oh, maybe there's some earthly thing that's keeping me from praying just the words, Our Father, as honestly and as deeply as I could pray those two words. The other thing is, what do I do with that? Galatians 4, 6 says that God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. God has sent the Spirit of His Son to our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for Daddy. If you look at the translations of the Our Father prayer, it says Pater or Pater, which is the Hebrew or Greek translation of the word Father, Padre, is what you might hear in, um, in Catholic Church, or English Father. So there isn't necessarily, some people think that when God taught, that Jesus taught this, He said, Abba, Father, most would say that he probably did not use the word Abba there, but he did want us to think of Father. But there is a moment that is recorded where Jesus uses the word Abba. And it's the moments where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's about to be betrayed. He's about to be handed over to death on the cross, and he says, Abba, if this cup can be passed, but if not, your will be done. 
What does that sound like? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So in the moments he takes the model that he taught us, and he models it, Abba, Dad, Daddy, here in this moment, in this brokenness, in this suffering, in this weight, under this pressure, Abba, help. No matter what, your kingdom. Richard Foster has a book on prayer, and every chapter is about a different kind of prayer. And one of them is called the Abba Prayer. And it's about tuning our heart into just praying to God as Father. Praying our way past the things of this earth that keep us from trusting God as Father. And I think that we're probably all in different places. We all have different opinions of God. We have different opinions of our earthly fathers. But the point of this kind of prayer is to help us step beyond what we think of earthly dads and step into what we can believe about a heavenly dad. The Abba prayer, it's a, a body rhythm prayer. It's a seven-syllable prayer that you can pray as you breathe out. In other words, I'm going to pray this as I breathe out. And then I'm going to breathe in. And I'm just going to be present to this prayer. I'm going to be present to God as I pray this prayer in the space between saying it and breathing out and as I breathe in and as I think and as I am present I am aware of what God can do is doing might do so that's what we're going to do together for a few minutes you know sometimes we preach sermons and we say oh you can do this or you can do that or here's something to write down Um, I've noticed a lot of people don't write anything down and chances are that we walk out of here and we go, oh, I'm glad I went to church today. So sometimes we need to take something and we need to just build it in and say, we're going to do this together. So we're going to do the Abba prayer and I'm going to take what he wrote and I'm actually going to expand it into a lot of different sentences because I just think that we're all in different places. So what I encourage you to do is you want, you can sit back, you can lean back, I want you to be comfortable, you can sit forward, if you want, straighten your back, you can put your hands on your knees, palms down, palms up, for, but for most of it, what I'm going to encourage, I'm going to encourage all of us to probably close our eyes. One, not because you need to, but probably somebody else in the room needs to feel like you're not looking at them. So even if you're like, well, I don't need to close my eyes because I don't do that to pray, do it to help someone else in the room that doesn't want to feel like they're being looked at. What we're going to do is we're going to start with one prayer, then we're going to pray this as you breathe out. You don't have to say it out loud. You can think it in your mind, but seven syllables, and it's going to be this. And you may not want to pray this. Maybe this is only for a few people in this room, but it's honest. Seven syllables, Father, I'm afraid of you. Because some of us are. We were afraid of our earthly father, and so we are afraid of our Heavenly Father. 
This is a confession. Breathe in and then breathe out as you breathe out. Just confess, Father, I'm afraid of you. As you breathe out, just pray that if you feel like you need to confess that. If you don't feel that, then don't pray it. And then we pray, Abba, I have run from you. Breathe in. Abba, I have run from you. Again, this is just confession. We have been prodigals on one level or another. Abba, I have run from you. Pay attention to the feelings that these words bring up in your mind and in your heart. Does it cause fear? Does it cause shame? Does it rise up guilt? These are all things that should be telling you that who you understand God to be is skewed. We turn to the prayer, Father, I'm in need of you. Father, I'm in need of you. Just pray that as many times as you feel you need to. Resting as you breathe in. You can hold it in if you want. Wait to be ready to pray again. And then as you breathe out, pray those words again. Father, I'm in need of you. we pray, Father, help me feel you here. Father, help me feel you here. You may pray this at home or in your car or at work or while you're walking down the street. Father, help me feel you here. Father, help me feel you here. continue to open ourselves up and we pray Father I'm receiving you Father I'm receiving you just opening our heart to God trusting breaking down the lies of how we think about God we pray Father I'm receiving you We say, Abba, I believe in you. Saying Father is better for you. You don't you can say Abba or Father. Abba, I believe in you. 
This is the kind of prayer that begins to crack our doubts. Abba, I believe in you. Something so small, so short, can feel so powerful. You can imagine as you breathe out that this prayer is breaking through something that has been keeping you from believing. Father, I believe in you. Abba, I believe in you. And then finally, Richard Foster's Abba prayer. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Father God, we thank you for being our Father, for being good even when we don't understand why you would be good, for loving us even when we don't feel lovable, for wanting our hearts even though you don't need anything, for being our Father and helping us understand what that is. Amen. If you were impacted by this message and would like to contribute to the ministries of the house or local church, please go to www.thehouseqc.com and click on Give.